Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for the opportunity to come before you and study the word. We ask you to lead and guide as we open it up. If anybody's on their way, we ask you to bring them quickly. And Lord, we ask that you bless those who have activities today and whatever they're doing in your son's name. Amen. Amen. Proverbs chapter 28. Starting at verse 1. The wicked flee when no man pursues, but the righteous are bold as a lion. For the transgression of the land, many are the princes thereof, but by a man of understanding and knowledge, the state thereof shall be prolonged. A poor man that oppresses the poor is like a sweeping rain which leaves no food. They that forsake the law praise the wicked, but such as keep the law contend with them. Evil men understand not judgment, but they that seek the Lord understand all things. So let's look at this. It starts out, the wicked flee when no man pursues, but the righteous are bold as lions. And I don't know if you've ever seen this happen, but I've seen people that are so fearful because of the, you know, they're fearful that somebody's coming out to get them, and they're, they're practicing wickedness, and you see it all the time with thieves. You know, they, they're paranoid. They're, somebody's after them all the time. They're looking around. Yeah, they're, they're, they're running, even though nobody's there to go after them. They're... They're running and they're scared, and and it is a very true statement. And yet, the righteous are bold. They don't. They're not looking around. They're not worried about somebody coming after them all the time. It doesn't mean that they're stupid and, and do dumb things, but they're also not running away from things that are non-existent. And the the wicked are doing that. They're they're looking for an escape, even though nobody's nobody's coming after them. They're still looking for that escape. Uh, it says, for the transgression of the land, many are the princes thereof, but a man of understanding and knowledge, the state or the being thereof shall be prolonged. And it says that, you know, if the land has got transgression, it's, it's really the government, governmental people's fault, in this case, the princes. They're not doing their job of punishing evil and rewarding good. And that's what we're told in, in Romans, that the job of the, the, job of the government is to, re, to punish evil and to reward good. And when the government's doing what they're supposed to, evil people are to be afraid because they're going to be punished, and the good are not afraid because they will be rewarded, except when things get backwards due to poor leadership. And this is what it says. The transgressions of the land are there because the princes are perverting justice, basically. And we're seeing our, our world getting into that mentality now where good is being called evil and evil is being called good. And... And you, if you're doing things right, you have to kind of be worried about being punished even though you're doing what God says is right. And when you're doing what God says is evil, you're, you're being rewarded. And it's not, a, not the way the land is supposed to be run, according to Proverbs. It's a way that you are not supposed to be. Verse 3, the poor man that oppresses poor is like a sweeping rain that leaves no food. And this is the idea. I mean, it's bad enough when the rich oppress the poor. But if the poor are also oppressing each other, that's a very bad problem. And a sweeping rain literally is a rain that comes down so hard it crushes the grain to the ground. And that's what they call this, this word sweeping rain. It, it, it crushes it. And, and when it's crushed like that, you can't get fruit from it. It's, it's been killed, basically. And it says if the poor are oppressing the poor, it's just as bad as having your food wiped out. And... Mm-hmm. And we see that. We see that quite frequently, as a matter of fact. And, you know, the, the, you've got a poor person who doesn't have anything, but yet they've got a little more than somebody else, and they oppress somebody else. 
Uh, you see it in the in in where gangs reign, where where it's poor people oppressing poor. They're going to make themselves the rulers over some little over or somebody or else. They got they got a little higher standard, so they're going to press a little oppress. They that forsake the law praise the wicked, but such as keep the law contend with them. And this, again, is where we're at now and where we were on verse 2. When, when God's laws are not followed, not kept, the wicked are praised. They're built up. They're, they're encouraged. And when God's laws are lifted up, the wicked are contended with. They're put, put into their place. And they're put under God and, 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 and brought out. And it says, evil men understand not judgment, but they that seek the Lord understand all things. And you can hear this, you know, especially in our movies and, and TV shows and even in real life. The, the evil person is always saying that it's not their fault. You know, it's somebody else's fault. They're this way because of mom and dad or, or the school system failed them or uh, they're, they weren't taught. You know, there's always an excuse, and they don't understand judgment. When they are punished, it's, it's just not right. And this is where God is saying, you, you, this is the reaping and sowing. You, you, you sow evil, you're going to reap for that evil. And the righteous understand that. The, the poor, the, the evil person doesn't understand this, the laws of sowing and reaping. All they think is, well, I got away with it. And sometimes they think, well, I got away from it, with it for a long time, so therefore... I should always get away with it. And God says, no, you reap what you sow eventually. Verse 6, Better is the poor that walks in his uprightness than he that is perverse in his ways, though he be rich. Whoso keeps the law is a wise son, but he that is a companion of riotous men shameth his father. He that by usury and unjust gain increases his substance, he shall gather it for him that will pity the poor. He that turns away his ear from hearing the law, even his prayer shall be an abomination. Whoso causes the upright to go astray in an evil way, he shall fall himself into his own pit, but the upright shall have good things in possession. So we look at this, it says, Better the poor that walks upright than he that is perverse in all in all his ways, though he be rich. And this is basically he's saying, it doesn't matter what we have on this earth. You know. The big deal is what we're going to have in eternity. If we're poor but upright, God's going to say, you're blessed because of your uprightness. You're, you're following his ways as best you can. But if you could be the richest person in the world, but you're following perversion, it's of no benefit whatsoever. It, you'd be better off being poor. And this is something the world doesn't understand because the world in the flesh says, give me, give me, give me. I want, I want, I want. And the righteous is saying, God, I surrender to what you want for me. And this is important for us, that that whole idea of surrendering to his way is so important. Whoso keeps the law is a wise son, but he that is a companion of riotous men shames his father. And this is the same, same mentality. If we keep God's law, then we are wise. We're showing understanding. If we guard his law in our heart, we're, we're showing that wisdom. We understand things. But he that is a companion to the riotous or worthless men shames his father, and that's pretty much a you know a very big axiom. You know, if your if your child misbehaves, they shame their parents, 
and were right or wrong, they shamed their parents. Uh, and the parents have done the best job they can, hopefully, with raising that kid and shouldn't be shamed, but it really is because people look at them and, and say, what kind of parents were you? And, and we always feel like we could have done better or done more with our kids in spite of, you know, and, and we kind of take it personally. Blame ourselves. We blame ourselves, and we really shouldn't if we've done the best we could. Um, verse 8, he that by usury and unjust gain increases his substance, he shall gather it for him that will pity the poor. Usury, we've talked about, that's charging interest. Uh, some people say uh, high interest is what usury is usually identified at, but in for the Jews, they weren't even allowed to charge each other interest. You know, a fellow Jew, they could not charge interest to. And if, they, if they're getting it unjustly, they're, they're cheating people, and they really get rich because they're cheating people, and they're charging interest and all of that, God says, in the end, your, your money will go to somebody else that will care for the poor that you stole it from. And we see that in some cases. In some cases, we don't see it, but God ultimately will make it happen. And it's very interesting to see this actually happen, where somebody takes advantage of somebody and thinks they're getting away with it, and they die, and their substance goes to help somebody so else. Usury? Usury. Interest. Oh, interest. And like I say, if you look it up in today's dictionaries, it'll say high interest. Now we say usury is just anybody that's a user. That yeah, well, that's not the same word. Okay, but usury is, is interest. Is high in basically if you looked it up in our dictionaries today it would say high interest but in the scriptures it literally just says interest the idea was that they, especially for the Jews they weren't discharge interest to each other they were allowed discharge interest unjust to Gentiles it's, not, it's a scale thing this could be the scale it could be just anything unjust in, in actuality any any cheating of the people at all and that could be just taking advantage of them it could be the idea of in the, the other place where you say what's worth you say something's worthless you buy it cheap and sell it sell it for its full value later on, it's American any, any way that's unjust. Yeah, not good. Um, and it says that God will, you're just gathering it, you're, you're assembling it for somebody else to use. And it is amazing when you look at some testimonies where this has happened and people have cheated people and, and, and they've lost everything and then you watch it go to different good, good causes and it says, okay, they got, it got returned. And God will do that. He will do that in many ways, and it's fun. It's fun to watch those different things happen, where people will blasphemy God, blasphemy against God, and have their possessions used to support God in in, in some work after they die. Uh, he that turns away his ear from hearing the law, even his prayer, shall be an abomination. So if somebody is not trying to obey God, and he is literally turning turning away from God and His rules and His laws. Even their prayers will be an abomination, a disgusting thing. And this is kind of a scary thought if you're, if you're living in a sinful lifestyle, that even your prayers before God are worthless because God looks at them as an abomination. And I've heard many people say, well, God's going to forgive me so I can pray and just ask him for what I want. And God's not even, I don't even believe from this verse that God's even going to listen to their prayers wow. other than for forgiveness. I had that one double-checked. That was one I've studied before, because this is a critical thing. God says you need to be basically having your flesh crucified and letting him live through you so that you will be honoring him constantly. And so then our prayers can be answered. Whoso causes the righteous to go astray in an evil way, he shall fall himself into his own pit, but the upright shall have good things in possession. And this is the idea of people that are trying to trip up 
the righteous or trip up, in some cases, the new believer who's just trying to learn to become righteous and learn how to follow God. If somebody's going out there to try to trip them up and make them stumble, God will step in and take care of them because he says, you're going to fall into your own trap because God is our protection. He's our defender. And he says, this person is attacking the righteous. And I think in many cases, this is very specifically the young righteous person who doesn't, who's having a hard time anyway. God's going to stand up and defend them. He's going to send that person into their own trap. He's going to trip them up. And this is why we can walk so confidently when we're trying to follow God is because he is our defender. He is our righteousness. He's our defender. He will protect us. All we've got to do is rest. Rest in his love and his favor. And in faith, we just rest, rest in him. It's called faith rest. We rest in our faith in God doing what he says he will do. And in this case, he says the person who's trying to trip the righteous up will be falling into their own pit. And the righteous will gain will gain the possessions out of the out of it, and that doesn't necessarily mean physical possessions only. It refers to spiritual and and eternal possessions as well. The rich man is wise in his own conceit, but the poor that has understanding searches him out. When righteous men do rejoice, there is great glory. But when the wicked rise, a man is hidden. hidden. He that overcomes his sin shall not perish, but whoso confesses, oh, excuse me, he that covereth his sin shall not prosper. How did I get any of that out of there? I don't know. But whoso confesses and forsakes them shall have mercy. Happy is the man that fears always, but he that is hard, that hardens his heart shall fall into mischief. As a roaring lion and a raging bear, so is the wicked ruler over the poor people. Okay, verse 11, the rich is wise in his own conceit or his own eyes. Okay, and that we know. A lot of times people, when, you, when they think they have power, they think they've got you know, wealth, they think they've got power, oftentimes they get conceited and you know, they think they're special. They may be the only one that thinks they're special, but in their own eyes they see themselves as special and try to lord it over people. But the poor that has understanding searches him out. And that examines thoroughly. He examines thoroughly what's going on. And, and it's a pretty amazing, this, is, this understanding or discernment. God, if we will just humble ourselves, will give us understanding and discernment. It's so fun when you see somebody trying to manipulate some, you or somebody else and you see right through it. And you, and you go, okay, God, yes, I see that. You know, that's not, you know, okay, now how do I handle this? And when you can see through this and, and God's, keeps you from being deceived. He keeps you from being being mistreated because he gives you an understanding to search, to, to fully examine what's going on. And it's just the power that God gives us. It gives us that discerning spirit. And discerning spirit is one of the greatest gifts that he gives people is so they can see. When righteous men do rejoice, there is great glory. But when wicked rise, a man is hidden. And this is very true. When the righteous rule... There's glory, there's excitement, but when the wicked rule, people hide. There's, you know, and we see that. The more the wicked, wickedness rules in countries, the more people hide from what's going on. When there's righteous ruling, then the righteous will come out and they will rejoice with God and they will do things that are godly. And as the wicked start ruling and controlling things, basically the wicked 
the, the righteous hide. They will go into hiding. You see this in, in the communist countries and the dictatorships where the Christian church goes underground and meets in homes and goes out and witnesses and, and can't meet in the church, but they continue to do things, but they do it hidden because, they're, because the government is against them. And we see this potential in our own country right now. As, as decisions are going toward evil, there will be a time when our Christian churches will go underground and we will be serving God, not in the open like we do now, but, but from an underground, from people's homes, from, from the houses. And there will be that hiding away from the, from the government. He that covers his sin shall not prosper, but whoso confesses and forsakes them shall have mercy. And this is where we as humans in our flesh, we want to cover. We want to hide our sin. We want to blame it on others. It's not my fault. It's this person's fault or that person's fault. Or it's the circumstances I live in. I'm poor, so I've got to steal because I can't afford to do anything. And God's saying, no, quit covering your sin. Quit trying to excuse it. And then... But whoso confesses and forsakes. And this is basically true repentance being described here. I confess what I've done, and I forsake doing it. I turn away from it. And repentance is so important for salvation. For true salvation to occur, I've got to confess that I'm a sinner and repent, turn away from my sin and say, God, I'm going to follow you to the best of my ability as you guide me and lead me. And this is what he's talking about. We shall have mercy when we do that. Just to tell God, you know, God, I did these things, you know, just because I confess it doesn't mean that I have forsaken it and repented from it. And there's a lot of people that are saying, well, I'm a Christian. I, I've accepted Jesus. Well, have you repented? Did you repent from your sin? Did you acknowledge that you're a sinner and you ask God to help you turn from it? Well, no. Well, then you need to follow through and get to really accept that gift and turn away. Because that repentance is so critical. It says, confess with your mouth and, and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord was the same type of deal. If he is Lord, he is ruler of our life, and we're going to turn away from our sin and follow him. And so this is very important, confession and repentance, forsaking what we're doing wrong. And... Will we fall at times? Yes, we'll fall. Then we confess and, re and continue our forsaking and repenting. We say, God, I fail again. Please, and we get back up. A couple chapters ago, we talked about the righteous man falls seven times and gets up. But the wicked fall and stay down. And when we're trying to follow God, we'll confess, we'll get back up. We'll fall, we'll confess, we'll get back up. And, we, and we're honestly meaning to repent, but until God gives us that victory, we get up and we confess, we, we turn away. And we get a little longer in between each fall, hopefully. And God says, here you are. You're, 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 you've got mercy. I'm not going to give you what you deserve because you've got mercy. Happy is the man that fears always, but he that hardens his heart shall fall into mischief. And this is that happy or blessed, and it's, gone, it's more than just being happy. It is really, truly being confident that God's in charge. Happy is the man that fears and this is great dread, always. And this is referring to this forsaking. Okay, it's referring back to the forsaking. We're in, we should always be in this dread of our flesh taking over and dragging us down again in the sin that we've forsaken. And God says if we stay that way, if we're fearful about doing something, and that's not being 
terrified and scared, and, uh, but terrified that we're going to be in dread of doing something that's going to hurt our God. And this is what I've said. If somebody comes and they said, I'm so strong in this area that I will never fall, they better look out because they're in violation of here. They're not in dread of, of that fall, and they think they can accomplish something. They're going to be in trouble because they will fall, and they're hardening their heart, and they shall fall into the mischief that they say they won't. It's our fear of sinning that, that can keep us from sin. God, I want you to keep me from sin. I want to stay forgiven. Because if, if I'm not in fear of it, I'm not worried about it, I'm not going to pray for the strength to, to avoid it. And if I'm not praying for the strength to avoid it, I think I can do it. And God says, you will fall. Pride goes before the fall. And we will fall into the place that we don't put a guard on and let, let, let our God guard that area of our life. If we don't, we will fall. And it's a very much a guarantee that we will fall. And people will go, well, I'll never fall. Well, you're, I don't have that ability. I know that I fell. And my, and my greatest example is, as I said, when I fell away from the church for two years, you know, if anybody told me as a teenager that I would have gone away from church and not gone to church for two years, I'd have laughed at them. Because I was thinking, you know, there is no way that will ever happen. I will always go to church. I did not put a guard. I did not fear that area. And yet, that is the very area that I fell fell into. And so we want to be careful. We want to be careful what sin we look at and say, I'll never do. Because God will say, okay, well, let me show you how strong you are in yourself. As a roaring lion and a raging bear, so is a wicked ruler over the poor people. And a roaring lion, they're roaring usually when they're hungry and they're hunting. And a raging bear, the bears range for, for hundreds of miles foraging for food and it says a wicked ruler so a wicked ruler is over his people these these two animals are talking about are the hunters they're going out to kill and the wicked ruler is trying to will do the same thing to their people they won't care about their people they don't all they want is what they can get from their people not 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 the people's best interest which is what a true ruler is looking for a true leader is always looking for the best interest of their people and you know, the wicked ruler is saying, you know, the wicked ruler, the wicked, wicked leader is trying to, what can I get out of the people? And it's totally backwards of what God wants. God wants his, his leaders, his rulers to what is best for the people. You look at David, and David was always giving to the people and providing the people. You look at what God says about pastors, that they're to love their people. You look what Jesus did for the disciples. He served the disciples, and he could have easily said, hey, I'm God, you serve me. And yet, as an example, he went out and he said, this is what we're supposed to do. This is how you be a good leader. You serve others. And you think about that. That is what God does for all of us as people. He serves us. He gives us all that we need. He gives us our provisions. He gives us the strength to be obedient. He gives, he gives us everything that we need, and he's the one that does it. And he's saying, I'm, your, I'm serving you. Go serve each other. And this is important for us, the serving of one another, the serving of others is what God wants us to do. And when we serve others, we take our focus off ourselves. If we're really feeling bad about everything going wrong in our life, and that's how we think, we need to go out and serve some other people and see how bad things are in their life. And it'll take our attention off of ours, our life completely. And this has been proven over and over again. And, and Christian counselors will often tell somebody who thinks their life is all messed up and bad, well, go find some way to serve God. Find a way to serve God and serve other people. 
and all of a sudden you'll find that your life isn't quite as bad as you thought it was. And it's quite an interesting thing to see God work in that way. Verse 16, the prince that wants understanding is also a great oppressor, but he that hates covetousness shall prolong his days. A man that does violence to the blood of any person shall flee to the pit. Let no man stay him. Whoso walks uprightly shall be saved, but he that is perverse in his ways shall fall at once. He that tills his land shall have plenty of bread, but he that follows after vain people shall have poverty enough. A faithful man shall abound with blessings, but he that makes haste to be rich shall not be innocent. Verse 16, the prince that wants understanding is a great oppressor and he that hates covetousness shall prolong his days and this idea you know the a prince that doesn't understand he doesn't have discernment he doesn't know what's going on in God's laws he'll be an oppressor or an extortioner he'll take what isn't his and unfortunately our world is getting so evil we're seeing our governments do just that taking what isn't theirs because they don't have any understanding of God's word they don't understand any God's principles and in, in like the United States where we have our republic, they, they take things that don't belong to them to give to people who are too lazy to give get. They another line of land. They want that other line. They want everything. But from sky, up in the sky or in the space, they say there's no lines, boundaries, or borders. And uh, that's what they want is more. Well, that's part of the satanic plan is to bring the world under one world government. And that takes us back, and we've talked about that, that takes us back to the Tower of Babel. Where, where there was one government and, and everybody's imagination was evil and they were worshiping idols and they were building this tower to make a name for themselves. God separated them, split their languages, and we are now overcoming that problem and the sinful flesh has basically eliminated the problem of not being able to communicate to one another and we're seeing the sinfulness of man come back as it was in the Tower of Babel which then takes us into the whole of the end days that we're studying in the book of Revelation because we're getting back to Babel we're getting back to all of the all the evil of that of that generation of Nimrod and the and the mystery Babylon religion that has always been the foundation of all the other religions that are out there and all of it is about works and, and making a name for yourself and, and challenging God and we're there we're still there they're, they're a great oppressor and he that hates covetousness shall prolong his days so if they hate unjust gain they the gain acquired by violence they will prolong their days and this is good government this is good leadership that are saying what's good for everybody what's good for everybody and it's not the socialistic way or, or the dictatorship way of take from take from those who have and give to the poor because everything about God, when he talks about dealing with the poor in Exodus and Leviticus, his way of dealing with the poor was to give them ways to work and earn a living to a degree. They were not to you know, take everything out of their fields and the poor were able to go into their fields, pick up the, the leftovers and be able to, well, maybe not totally earn work, work, but at least they had to do something to be fed. They didn't just have somebody go to the field, pick it up for them, and, and deliver it to their door and be lazy. And unfortunately, in every country that the government gets involved in, they, they make people 
get lazier because you know there's rules for it. If you if you break a certain amount of income, you can't get the money from the government, so you don't make more than that level of income. Whether you do it under the table and make more than that, or you just say, well, I'm just not going to make more than X number of dollars because as soon as I cross that line, I lose my government money, and it creates a poor. Uh, worthless mentality and it says, you know, because you're just being given. No self-esteem. So, well, self-esteem is a bad word. Self-esteem is a bad word because... To go out and do something, or motivation, or... Yeah, or because God does not want us to have good self-esteem. He wants us to have a esteem that's based in Christ. Because we as people are worthless. We're sinners. We deserve punishment. And if our esteem is in Christ... I have everything because of who Christ is, not because of who I am. And this is why self-esteem is one of those worldview things that sounds so good. Everybody's got to feel good about themselves. No. I mean, I'm not to feel worthless and terrible, but I, I've got to understand that in God's sight, I'm a sinner deserving of hell, and it's only by his mercy through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ that I am worth anything. And because of Christ's view of me and who I am in Christ, I have great esteem, but it is because of what God has done, not what I have done. Okay? And, and I'm not saying we want to be, you know, without any pride in what we do, but we don't want to be looking at it, this is what I'm doing. Look at me, look at me, look at me. Well, maybe I meant... I know what you meant, but I'm just... Word, clo- yeah, I'm just... But self-esteem, but see, there are many churches that teach be have good high self-esteem, and that's not what God wants us to do. Our esteem must be in who we are in Christ. We spent the 51 weeks on who we are in Christ so that we would understand the value I have with God is great, but it's not because of anything that I am. I am worthless. I am not, I am not worth anything. Every good thing that I do, according to Isaiah 64, 6, is filthy rags. And that's the good that I do. So I can't take and have my esteem in who I am. Well, I'm trying to motivate others. You'll get the job. Yes. Yeah, and I, and and it is I'm a good get thing. A gun and rob me. Yeah, and it is a good thing. But we want to be careful of that because Satan wants us to have self-esteem. Look at how good I am. Look at what, how special I am. Oh. And you get that I in there, and that's why self-esteem is an I. And anytime I is involved, it's not godly. It's got to be who am I in Christ. In Christ, I am perfect. In Christ, I am righteous. In Christ, I can do all things. But I can't do all things in my own strength. And very important for us to be able to get there. And this is why psychologists and sociologists and everybody's trying to build up self-esteem. Do what makes you feel good. Get, get your image up good. And they're on the wrong case. The, the I wills of Satan were his pride that brought him down. I will ascend above heaven. I will put my throne with, with God. I will, you know, the seven I wills that brought Satan's pride into sin. And God says, the I is not what's going to be there. Our I needs to be crucified. And I'm living in, in Christ, and he lives through me, and now I have great value because he is the one doing it. So self-esteem is not where we want to look at. It's who we are in Christ. uh, Verse 17, A man that does violence to the blood of any person shall flee to the pit. Let no man stay him. 
and this is again the, this is the idea that there is that punishment. If somebody's going to do violence and and kill somebody, you know, then they're they're flee to the pit, which means to hell. They're going to go to hell, and it says let no man stay him. If that's where they're wanting to go, then that's where they're going to go, and and it's to let that happen quickly. But obviously, we want to give the gospel. We want to try to get them to make a change and confess their ways. But the ultimate goal that they're going to keep attacking people is that they will be eternally punished. Whoso walks uprightly shall be saved, but he that is perverse in his way shall fall at once. That's verse 18. Whoso walks uprightly. And this idea of uprightness in its walk is, is the uh, perfection, completeness. Who, you know, those who are going to live according to God's rules and his, his righteousness. And if we're walking uprightly, we shall be saved. And, we've, and the only way to be truly upright is to be in Christ. And when we're in Christ, we will be saved. But he that is crooked in his ways, all the work that he do, does, he shall fall. And we see that. And it says at once, but this again is in God's view of at once. It could be a long time as far as we're concerned, but they will reap what they sow. If they're perverse, they're crooked in, in their walk, they will pay the price. Usually that will happen in this day in, at some point in their lifetime. They will reap what they sow in their lifetime, but ultimately they will reap what they sow when they stand before God and lose everything that they have. He that tills his land shall have plenty of bread, but he that falls, follows after vain people shall have poverty enough. And this, and this is basically says, if you work, you're going to re get rewarded. <laughs> and, and in this case, it was an agrarian society. It said, if you, don't, if you plow your fields and you plant stuff, you will get a crop. And it says, and there'll be plenty. You will be satiated. You'll have, you'll be, you'll be satisfied. You will have enough. It says, but if you're following after vain or empty people, you're not plowing your field. You're wasting your time. You will have poverty enough. You'll be, you'll have plenty of poverty. If you don't plant your fields, you will not have anything to, to, to eat. And that's pretty self-evident, but it is what it is. And people, even to this day, don't go out and work. And work can be any number of things that are done, but what do people do for work? How little do they get try to try to do? You know, are they following empty things or are they following God's righteousness? Yeah, the, the begging and the panhandling they call it now. <clears throat> it's still pit begging. And they should go out and uh, do something, find something or, or most of them can. Work. I mean for those who well, literally can't, it's, it's not that big a deal. I mean it, it's go to work. I, Whatever. Yeah. You have to make sacrifices. You got to commute. You got to do this. And for those panhandlers that can do something for a living, they should be doing something. And there are a lot of them. And for those who are truly, absolutely destitute, the begging and, and begging has been going on for for millennia. And you know there were those who literally couldn't do any work. You know those yeah, who are so literally unable to walk around or I'm talking about get person. in there. So, so making healthy is. And there's a lot of healthy people that aren't doing work. A faithful man shall abound with blessings, but he that makes haste to be rich shall not be innocent. And this is the idea of if you're working hard, you're trying to do things, you're going to get blessed. And then it tells us that if you're trying to get rich quick, usually it means you're cheating somebody. And that's the quickest and easiest way to get rich quick is whether you're playing the lotto and it's cheating the poor because it's taking 
an inordinate amount of money from the poor trying to get that quick quick fix, that quick hit. Uh, gambling has that same principle for those who are gambling, trying to make that big hit, that big score, and then usually they will gamble away their big hit and lose it all before they're done. That old, you make me think of that old saying, Deal's too good to be true. It probably is, and that's very much the way that this verse is. It's a, you know, that's not in the scriptures, but that is what this verse says. If it comes quickly, it disappears quickly. How to ruin a man is to give someone that doesn't know how to handle money money. Mm -hmm. I learned that one. You'll ruin their whole life, including their family and their credit, <laughs> and their credit and everything else. If they don't know how to handle the money, giving the, giving a person that doesn't know how to handle money a lot of money will destroy them. And that is what we find out if you read the history of people who win the lotteries. You know, they win these big, they're going to have money for, well, usually they take it in a lump sum and they don't know what to do with it and they're broke after just a couple of years. And you figure, you go, well, how can they spend $20, uh, $20 million? If you don't know what you're doing, you're, you're a target for every con artist out there. Oh, yeah. And give it value in your the government tax. And you get the taxes and everything that you didn't plan on and think about. I mean, and they it really hits you when you get that kind of money. You don't realize that uh, tax on Well, they give you a 25% tax plus all the tax. If you give the money away, they tax that too. So even if you give it, to even if you give it away, you get taxed for it. It's a tax, yeah. You get, you've got a certain percentage you can give away, and after that, there's it's a, all taxed. There's a new, not 401k, it's a new one, 529 or something like that. It's where you can put money in for your uh, grandkids. Mm-hmm. It's uh, really neat, but if you decide that you want to tip, get into it, it's taxable. Yeah, that's always true. Verse 21. To have respect of people is not good, for, the, for, for a price of bread a man will transgress. He that hastens to be rich has an evil eye, and considers not the poverty shall come upon him. He that rebukes a man afterward shall find more favor than he that flatters with his tongue. Whoso robs his father or his mother and says there is no transgression, the same as the companion of a destroyer. So we're going to look at these, these couple verses. To have respect of persons is not good for the price of a, of a bread that a man will transgress. And this is basically saying don't, don't uh, give somebody something they don't deserve. I mean, if you're somebody, and this is... We see it in our legal system, and, and the biggest thing that people complain about is if you're rich enough to hire a good lawyer, you'll get out of just about anything. And that is respected people. I mean, it's yes, they're using the laws. Yes, they're not, you know, but our legal system has gone bad. In this, in this case, it was talking about going to the king. The king, the king was not to respect, you know, some people. He wasn't going to say, well, because you have money, you're more important than this person that has nothing. And they were to treat everybody equally and not consider wealth, not consider prestige, not consider who they were. Because it says, for a piece of bread, a man will transgress. And that literally means that if they're hungry enough, they will do what it takes to, to get fed. <laughs> and that piece of bread might be greater or lesser for de depending on who it is you're talking about. But usually, they, you know, usually when they brought in false witnesses, that, that false witness could be bought by somebody else that got, had a higher... <laughs> higher uh, offering to them. And God's saying, you know, treat everybody correctly, treat them fairly. And this is why it's so important for us as Christians to see everybody in the way God sees them. God sees them as sinners in need of a, of a savior. 
and not terrible, wicked people that need to be pushed aside and, and, and corrected, but to be gently loved and said, God loves you and he died for you. And it's very important for us to get that way and to forget the past. Uh, it's very important, and I try so hard to not deal with people after who they, who they were. Just because they're a thief, if they get saved, there's a great chance that God will take away their desire to steal. That doesn't necessarily mean I'm going to give them the keys to every door and, and, uh, and the checkbook to be signing for the church, but they're going to be saying, okay, we're going to trust you until you prove otherwise and work with them and work with people because people change. And we see the change in people just over the time that we've had here in this church and watching people grow and, and, and draw close to God. And when they fall, we're going to say, come on back, get come back to God and continue growing. And we're not going to say, well, you failed, so you're out. That's not the way it is because God doesn't do that with us. I failed many times and he didn't say, get out of my sight. He said, come on back, I love you and confess and repent and go forward and, and everybody's going to have that. And where their failures are, that's between them and God. He that hastens to be rich has an evil eye and, can, and considers not that poverty shall come upon him. And this is that idea, somebody who is trying to get rich quick, poverty comes on him. And we see that that is a true statement, as, as you were bringing out. Somebody who doesn't know how to money, the worst thing you can do to them is give them a pile of money. And we see that with people who get an inheritance, who win the lottery, uh, who get some big strike. All of a sudden, they've got uh, friends and, and family that come out of the woodwork trying to get as much money out of them as possible. Uh, they've got friends that are saying, hey, you know, I've, I helped you out. You, you know, you owe me and trying to get them. They got the scammers that come out after them and the taxes that come out after them and all these things that they don't know what to do. And then the next thing they know, they're back in poverty. And it's even now worse for them because they had a small taste of having something. And now they're back in poverty after having had and that that will always drive them to want to get back to what they had. And this is what happens to gamblers. When people really get addicted to gambling, it's usually because they won some big amount of money and then either lost it or it didn't last long. And then every time they go gambling, they're, they're hoping for that next big strike. You know, if I go out again, I'm, I, mean, I mean, I did it before. I made that 5,000. I made that 10,000. Call a winning streak. Yeah, I had my winning streak. I'm going to get it. And they lose, and they lose, and they lose, and they lose. Verse 23, he that rebukes a man afterwards shall find more favor than he that flatters with the tongue. And this is the whole idea that if you give somebody the truth in love, not just to beat them up and make them feel bad, but if you give them the truth, that person in the long run is going to care about what you've done. They're going to see that it was for their good. Rather than telling them, oh, you're such a good person, you're, you know, you're so special, you're, you're, you're really you're the greatest thing since sliced bread, and they're a sinner in need of, of, of sin, of the Savior, you know, and you're sitting and telling them how good they are and how special they are, you're not going to really win a friend in the long run. But if you rebuke somebody and they find out, it, yeah, well, yeah, you did it because they care. And there is a time to, for rebuke. There is a time when you, as long as it's in a loving manner to say, you've got to change your ways because it's leading to destruction. It, you know, and sometimes it has to be that way. And I've done it to different people you know, as I talk to them in the church. You, know, you cannot do that. You cannot say these things. You've got to change this because this is what the scriptures say. 
I do it in love. I'm, I hope I'm never being harsh when I do that to people and that they take it right, even though it can sound harsh at times, because it's not what they want to hear. And people, people want to hear the flattering, but they really don't want to hear the flattering. They want to be told the truth. People want to know that they can trust. When somebody says something to them, they want to know that they can trust that pe person's word. And if all they ever do is flatter and, and, and try to make them feel good, they're not going to be trusted in the long run because they're not there to help the person. Whoso robs his father or mother and says it is no transgression, the same as a companion of a destroyer. And this rob here is not just, it really isn't about the robbing of them, it is the violence done in the robbery. Okay? And it's not just going to their house and stealing from them. It is literally the violence that is done by saying, I'm taking this. And it's bad enough just to go in and take from your parents. Uh, I, I know an individual who says that she doesn't trust her sons to come into her house. They'll, they'll take anything that out of the refrigerator. They'll just, if they want it, they take it. And I'm going, that's not right. That's... This is your parents. You can't be doing this. And we want to be careful with that. This whole idea that I deserve, and this is what this means, mom and dad, I deserve whatever you have because I'm your son is just not a valid attitude. You know, our parents don't owe us anything, especially once we're adults. They don't owe us anything. Now, if they want to lovingly give to us, that's great. Um, and this is the whole mentality, period. Nobody owes us anything. Uh, even if we've given to them, they really don't owe us anything because... Nobody owes us a living? Nobody owes us a living. Nobody owes us... I mean, just because I give them something doesn't mean that uh, that they owe me anything even at that. Uh, whenever somebody asks to borrow something from me, if I can't afford to give it to them, I'm probably not going to do it. If they want to borrow money and I can't afford to give it away, then I'm not going to give it to them. If I can afford to give it away, I give it to them. And... If they give it back to me, great. If they don't, I didn't expect it to come back anyway because that's been my experience with people. You give them something and you may or may not get it back. And I'm not going to be angry about them because if I'm sitting there giving, loaning to them, expecting to get it back, then I'm going to have hard feelings about well, it. If you don't, there's one little girl says, if, not a little girl, she's, if you don't give me money for my college tuition, I need 20000 If you don't give it to me, I won't talk to you, speak to you anymore. And I say, Good. <laughs> I'm not good. So we gave her some, you know, gave her five. Yeah. Gave but to some. extort money from others but, is not right. Yeah, she goes, that's calling family hobbit. And they ask the family members or friends, and, and yeah. they pay it back, but the college didn't want her to return the next year. <laughs> they took the 20 year, or the month, 20 year in the first year, and that was it. That was, so she wasn't good enough. Mm -hmm. or, yeah. She didn't do her work. So somebody who romps from their, from their mother and father, then they say that it's not a problem. And this goes into, Jesus talked about the Pharisees and the scribes saying that you've called, your, called all your possessions Corbin so that, or dedicated to God so that you don't have to give it to, to your family. You know, and they're right. saying, you're robbing from your family. And this is basically what he's saying. How do I rob from my mom and dad? My mom and dad, if they need help, I should be helping them as their child because that's what the scriptures say. As they get older and can't take care of themselves, then it is the children's responsibility to help their parents. If one of them is widowed, the, the children were to bring them into their house and take care of them. And it's very important because God says, if you don't take care of that, you're the same as a destroyer, somebody who's spoiling and ruining and corrupting everything. And you know, we need to get that back. And our world is telling us, you know, basically our world tells us, hey, they get old, dump them in a 
in a nursing home and forget about them. And that's the sad thing that happens. And in most nursing homes, those older people don't have any family visiting them. And it's a very sad thing to see that they are just dumped and forgotten. Ruins a relationship. Ruins a relationship. The old folks don't forget. They don't forget when they've been ripped off. Nope. They love their kids and they give them their shirt off their back, but they'll... Now, there may be a time to put them in a nursing home. If they're so handicapped and so needy, you cannot take care of them, but you better not just dump them in that home and forget them. 65 automatically. Yeah, uh, well. You know, 67 now. But you need to be going and visiting them, letting them know they're not forgotten. You, you know, just because you can't handle them in your house, it doesn't mean you forget it's about them. It's not so easy to make it to 65 or 67 to live that long. I mean, yeah. God, you want to put your treasures in heaven. Yeah. Our, our future is in heaven, not here, you know. It's back to that you know the main yep. point is uh, God verse, wants us to put our treasures at him verse 25 he that is of a proud heart stirs up strife but he that puts his trust in the Lord shall be made fat he that trusts in his own heart is a fool but whosoever walks wisely he shall be delivered he that gives unto the poor shall not lack but he that hides his eyes shall have many a curse when the wicked rise, men hide themselves, and when they perish, the righteous increase. He that is of a proud heart stirs up strife. And this is pretty much true. If you see somebody who thinks they're the greatest thing that's ever hit, hit the town or the, or the company or, or, or the church or the family or whatever it is, they stir up problems because everybody else thinks that they're pretty important too. And you know, then usually they don't think that that person is all that, all that big a deal. And even if they are, they still don't want to admit it because that person's being yeah. home, uh, being being uh, they doing being being uh, uppity. Back to the uh, flattery of the boss. You know? mm -hmm. being, uh, and it says, "But he that puts his trust in the Lord shall be made fat." And this literally just means rewarded. It doesn't mean physically made fat. It means be fulfilled, be 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 completed. And this is where we put our trust in God. And this is why. That humility of saying, "Okay, you think you're something, but I'm not. I'm not going to get into this big battle because, in the long run, God promotes those who deserve to be promoted, and it's always true. I've seen it even in the business world where somebody's backstabbing and climbing the ladder in deceit. They fall back down the ladder just as quickly, and the, the real cream of the crop will be eventually acknowledged and rewarded. It's hard when you're being overlooked those first couple of times, but eventually you get." noticed and, and raised up and can you get fired yes but then you, if you're that good you're going to be good in the next place you go at anyway so it's really not the end of the world and god will say you're going to get blessed get and he will take care of it pride. and then i say wait a minute i'm very proud of myself but god did it mm -hmm. he that trusts in his own heart is a fool and this is very true our emotions are and this is heart seed of the emotions our heart lies to us all the time. Our emotions lie to us all the time, which is why we need to deal with what God says. It says, whoso walks wisely. How do we walk wisely? We follow God and his laws, his, his way of thinking. When we obey God, we shall be delivered and escape. But when we trust in our own ways, we're going to make bad decisions. And this is usually what happens when people want to get divorced for the wrong reasons. I mean, the only, one, the only way for a divorce that God says is through adultery. But some, we always hear in our day and age, well, I just never loved this person. And you know what? They're telling the truth. They didn't love the people because they didn't walk in God's way of doing it. They were in lust. They were infatuated with people. 
and they got married with no intention of staying together because of love. And the first time bad things happen, they go, well, I just never loved this person. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to leave. And unfortunately, that is what the heart will tell us. Relationships all go in a cycle of I really like the person, now I don't like them, and then I come back around to liking them. And it doesn't matter whether it's a husband-wife relationship or even a friend. And friends quite aren't quite as bad because we're not living with them to really be driven into that dislike period. But if you have ever had a friend for a long time, there's that period where you kind of drift apart, you're not you're not hanging out all the time, and then you get back together and and you have that close relationship. Well, in a marriage that goes along, about every seven or ten years, this cycle goes on in a, in, in a marriage. And there's, there's times when you're really very much emotionally and physically in love and you really can't get enough of each other. And then there's those times when you're wondering why you're even living with this person. And you go past that and you come back again to where you really love this person and, you, and you're remembering all the reasons. It is a cycle of human nature. And if we allow ourselves to fall into that and not trust God and follow our heart, we're a fool. It's a curse. And we will be deceived. And this is where God is saying, follow him. He says, stay married. You're glued together. You're tied together, not just at a physical level, but all the way down to the soul and spirit level. We are glued together when we get married. And when you rip that apart, and the human you know, courts say, you could rip this marriage apart, you're not just tearing apart two lives, you're tearing apart two souls, and they are never whole again from that point. And I've seen it over and over when I've talked to different people that are you know, divorced, the, the hatred they feel toward, and desire, both hatred and desire they still feel for that person that they divorced, is a mix in there that just they have that desire of having what they had, and yet that hatred of what was destroyed is still burning in their heart. And it's not a good thing because they made a foolish decision and they were not delivered from what they went through. They didn't escape it. He that gives to the poor shall not lack, but he that hides his eyes shall have many curses. And this is God saying, he's going to reward those who take care of the poor. He's going to help those that... Uh, he that gives to the poor shall not lack and won't have a want. He's giving, he's giving to help people. And God rewards that desire. That doesn't mean waste money. You know, we talked about panhandlers. Uh, when I was in teaching in California, in Sacramento, California, we lived in a place that had lots of panhandlers. And people would ask me, well, what do, you, do you give to the panhandlers or not? I go, well, I have to talk to God on each one of those times. If it's somebody that God says to give to, or I feel God say, give to, I give to them. They go, what if they're cheating you? I go, that's between them and God. That's not between me and God. I did what I thought was right, and God is going to bless me for doing what is right. Now, if he tells me not to give to that person and I give to them, then, then I'm at fault. But he wants us to be generous to the truly poor. And that doesn't mean reward those who are just trying to, to hide. I mean, I see people on, on the routes that I go, I see the same people out every single day on the same corners. And for those individuals, I probably would not give them anything because they're obviously not trying to get be, you know, do anything better for themselves. And they're all walking around. They look perfectly healthy to me. They should be able to get a job. Is that judgmental? Probably. But, you know, I see the same people. Now, if I saw somebody brand new on there and saying, okay, this person may have a real problem, I might consider. And... 
but it's all to listen to God. God is going to reward us because he says he will reward us for helping the poor. And so we don't want to get such a hard heart that we say, well, I'm not giving to anybody. If they're really, truly poor, then we want to help them and reach out to them just as God reaches out to us. And he says that, but if we hide our eyes, there are many curses. You know, and God does not want us to just hide our eyes from the poor and say, no, I can't help the poor. Because there's always somebody worse off than we are. And we want to keep that in memory, you know, keep that in thought. There's always somebody worse off than we are. And it says, when the wicked rise, men hide themselves, but when they perish, the righteous increase. And again, that's going back to what we had at the very beginning. When the righteous rule, they stand up. Then when the wicked rise up, then people hide themselves from the wicked because they're not going to reward good. They're going to reward evil, and nobody wants to be around them. But when the righteous, when when the wicked die, the righteous come back and they increase and come back out into the open. All right, we're going to close in prayer. Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for the opportunity to, to just worship you and to follow you. We ask that you guide and lead us in all that we do. Help us always to follow you in your son's precious name. Amen.